0: Glory.
1: Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Also, say positive, glowing things about us on Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't given us a five-star review yet, pause your recording and go and do so now. Unless you're driving in the snow apocalypse that is hitting the eastern seaboard, in which case, white knuckle it through and wait for it later. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother Chris, a priest. But even more importantly than the two Haber Bros, we have a very special guest, Christopher.
2: We, Kirk, have been so blessed to have such interesting and intelligent people on here. Uh, it's probably a bad precedent because when we go back to episodes that are just you and me, yeah. it's going to be quite a drop-off. It has um, elevated the quality of the conversation. It, it certainly has. Uh, today we have Amy Bird. Amy Bird is the author of five books, including Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and has an upcoming book in 2022 uh, coming out, The Sexual Reformation. We are thrilled to have her join us today, even if she only agreed to come on the show. If I would actually buy her book, I had been borrowing. <laughs> uh, my friend Emily loaned it to me, and Amy caught wind of this and was like, don't you realize I sell books for a living? And I was like, no, author- I don't know what you do all day in your ivory tower. And she, So I said, yes, I'll buy your book, even if it means I can't afford my kids this, to feed my kids this weekend. Hey, authors have to put food on the table, too. That's fine. My kids won't eat this weekend. I can eat. My kids won't. Hey, the won't. only
3: comment was made is because you said you were spilling stuff on Emily's book.
2: <laughs> Such is life. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it was, it was totally worth it because it's a good book and we're thrilled to have her on the show. Uh, Amy, uh, would you tell us, a, I, I mean, you're a big deal, so I'm sure most of our listeners know who you are, but um, even if they do, uh, would you tell us a little bit? more about yourself beyond your kind of basic biographical uh information that that you've become an author Mm
3: -hmm. yeah I'm not really a big deal at all and uh I like your title
2: housewife theologian
1: by the way yeah just ask
3: my kids (laughs) but um okay so yeah I'm 45 years old been married for 23 years so I have a 21 year old in college she's graduating from James Madison University this spring, and I have another daughter in college who is into cosmetology. She's already got her license in that, she's 18. And then my son is a sophomore in high school. Um, And so everybody's virtually pretty much working from home right now. (laughs) But my interest, I got into writing because I'm such a reader and a thinker, I guess, and a a talker. Um, So I love reading, but um, you know, for fun, I love to hike. Um, I grew up in a household that teaches martial arts and my, my brother has a martial arts academy and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So my son takes from there. And uh, I was taking some strike fitness and stuff like kickboxing and stuff like that from there. So I, I like to stay fit and have fun and be outdoors, live near the Potomac River. So we with the COVID, we've done a lot of inner tubing, floating over the summer kind of sad that that season's over um but transitioned more into hiking so that's good too how
1: did you uh how did you fall into writing can you tell us a little bit about how that happened yeah it
3: was um basically so when i got out of college i got married right out of college and opened up a coffee shop so i had a coffee shop for several years yeah so much fun downtown frederick maryland um and I was part of a church plant then, and I was asked to lead a women's Bible study, which people from my coffee shop were coming to as well, which was mm. kind of neat. Um, and man, I just grew th- so much through that. I loved uh, talking about the Bible with this group. We all grew. And then I moved to Martinsburg, West Virginia, which is really only like a mo- uh, hour from where I live now. But um the culture was just so different. I I was missing the theological stimulation. Um, And it was a very socially Christian area, like the public schools still celebrate Christmas and um, most people there went to church, but uh, definitely more fundamentalist kind of Bible belty. Um, So there was high Christian morality but there was like no underpining theology. Like they didn't know why <laughs> they believed what they believed really. Um, so it was very lonely for me as a thinker. And, um, and that really led me to my first book that just kind of was in my head um, that was called Housewife Theologian. And I really just wanted to provide a tool to talk to other people about why theology is important for just a regular person. Um, and how we're all responsible to know who God is and how that affects our everyday living. Um, and so really, yeah, I just had this book in my head. I never aspired to be an author, um, but I thought, well, what the heck? I will guess I'll get this thing out and write it and see what happens. And uh, I found a publisher and next thing you know, I was getting opportunities to speak and, and to podcast and um, got another book in my head. So now, what
1: year of, was that? When did Oh
3: man, it was published in, oh, 2013, I think. Okay, so yeah. this has
1: all been a bit of a whirlwind then, in seven yeah, years or Yeah, so. I
3: mean, yeah, yeah, just seven years or so. Um, I've had some wonderful opportunities that I just never sought out, really, um, and have met so many different people, you know, between academics and pastors and lay people, Um, I've just really been given an opportunity to, um, look in how God is working in so many different churches and it's been such a blessing, but then you also see that the, the struggles in the church are pretty common. Uh, um, there's, it's not different everywhere I go, I'm seeing the same struggles. So that that's led me also, you know, each book kind of builds off of the next, um, so it's led me to ask more questions. And I think writing has been a great way to do that, to work on those questions because I'm kind of writing the books that you know I was looking for.
2: Yeah, and a dramatic, so- yeah, really, really cool story. I'm sorry, Kirk, am I interrupting? Did you have something really good to say? <laughs> uh, it was good. It was pretty good, but probably- okay, Let's hear it. <laughs> it let's hear it. You were about to say, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> Um. so a dramatic oversimplification of of Amy's, uh, work has that that she's found herself doing is is carving out uh, a place for for women in the church, um, in a church that um, seeking to to follow scriptural teaching on men and women has placed sort of arbitrary boundaries on what a woman is allowed to do. And in recovering from biblical man- manhood and womanhood, she points to was it Anne Hutchinson uh, as as a was it Anne Hutchinson?
3: Um, I'm not sure which part you're talking okay. about, I as, talk as, about. As, a, as a good example of just
2: arbitrary, um, boundaries where, uh, she was kind of pushed off to the side at her church. You know, she was like, well, wh- what's my place in this? And, and, and they didn't really give her any guidance. So she started basically a Bible study out of her house, um, which was wildly successful, but she was also kept from actually a theological education and was kind of accidentally, um, teaching unorthodox things, or I don't know if you'd say heretical or, but like, Um, but the church gave her no education and no guidance in this, but ultimately became threatened by it. And so the contemporary analog to that would be saying, well, women are allowed to teach children, but only up to this age, or Mm -hmm. women can teach other women. But, but what we find is, um, conservative churches, what we find them doing is, is having arbitrary boundaries uh, for what women are allowed to do. And Amy's found her way, um, kind of helping to come alongside women and help them helping them find their place in the church
3: yeah and not only are there these arbitrary boundaries um and you know invisible fences maybe but uh women want to be invested in as disciples mm-hmm. and are finding it very hard to be invested in the same as the men and so we get a kind of of pushed into these women's ministries, which is kind of an arm of the church. It's not really part of the heart of the church.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, women with theological vigor um, are recognized in one sense and, and given this freedom to teach You know, in these women's ministries using these women's resources um, in which I found and written about in, in another book called No Little Women. They're so they're laden with theological error. Um, and then, you know, some of them are just very fluffy and, and not really teach them much of anything, but um, they're not being vest- invested in, they're not being shepherded, they're not being discipled, and yet they're then discipling the other women in the church. Um, so then pastors come to find later, you know, all the consequences of this, <laughs> um, there, there's all kinds of problems that come out of it, but I've just talked to so many women in different churches and, you know, I've, I've had opportunities to speak all over the place. And um, th- the sad part is they, they want to or have gone to their leadership asking for this, you know, asking for investment, asking questions about um, you know, what, what the views are, uh, not wanting to cause trouble. Um, mm-hmm. However, either being ignored, neglected, or looked at as a, a threat for asking the questions. Um, and, and that's just really sad. And, and harmful for the whole church
1: i, I have uh, later when we get to talk about your book I, I i do have a question about that i've been thinking about that and it seems to be a uniquely protestant problem and i i have maybe a theory i want to run past you as to as to okay. what that may be the case but um that that'll be really interesting to talk about all of that within the context of your book um i am excited to talk to you about um advent three's gospel christopher shall we move on to the gospel
2: can I ask one more question? And Amy okay, can say all right. <laughs> Amy could say, no, I I I I wanna skip that for now. Um because maybe it's I don't know if, if it's raw or if it's just a bad question. But um I feel like it relates to what she just discussed as far as women not being invested in as leaders and, and but then suddenly criticized for doing, you know, what for for kind of feeding and discipling women and I think an example of that is a very public example was um John MacArthur was asked to for like a two-word like if you could say something to to Beth Moore what would you say and what he said was go home um so he's he's not providing guidance but he's but also like she's gotten a little bit too big for her britches he thinks so she should just quit and go home I wonder if you have it, does that, for you, Amy, encapsulate kind of the attitude uh, of, of this day?
3: It, in some ways, you know, in some circles. And and that was just so shocking. Um, <laughs> of all the things to say, you, you know, um, somebody with his reach, um, it was just terribly devastating to just see how he devalued um Beth Moore and, and her, her entire you,
2: life and ministry and work. Yeah. yeah.
3: Go home. I mean, to, of all the things that, you know, you can critique about her teaching, go ahead, you know, sure. Um, yeah. If you, if you don't think that she, you know, she should have given the sermon that she gave it, under the conditions that it was given or say something about that, but don't reduce her to, mm-hmm. you know, say that you don't belong outside of your house, that no one should be listening to her voice. It, it totally robbed her of, of dignity and personhood.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, um, you know, I've experienced a lot of that myself. And uh, actually, a, a publisher put out a short YouTube video with one of their top women authors um, doing a little video where she names Beth Moore and I as encroaching feminism. And, and we're not even in the same circles, really, but as encroaching feminism in the church and she's peeling potatoes. And you know, it was this whole mischaracterization of, of our writing saying that we're telling women to, not to love their homes and that um, you know they should be doing these word studies in the Bible. And instead of writing the margins of our Bible, we should be encouraging women to be obedient to God and stay in their homes and, and write in the margins of their cookbooks. And it was this whole like kind of making fun of us uh, video, which I just thought, Wow, I mean, it was, it was very well produced in this amazing home. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, done by Canon Press, and so you're just thinking, you know, went all over the internet, and and it was just ridiculous. And I mean, she didn't even peel potatoes very well. So <laughs> just thinking,
2: it's I- clear she doesn't do this very often. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's common to take you know women who you disagree with in the church um, and. Than, and totally reduce them like that, and and dehumanize, um,
2: and, and not offer a substantive critique, but just to say to dismiss them wholesale. Dismiss, yeah, yeah. This is neither here nor there, but uh, I just I'm gonna say
1: something mean about John MacArthur for just a moment, um, and this is basically all Reformed Baptists. I. I Christopher, our cousin Seth, at one point um, sent me a video of John MacArthur. This is so great. You have to watch this. And I watched it and he began, he's like, we we are not superficial like so much of the American Evangelical Church. We read old books. And then he mentioned a name and I'm like, okay, we're talking 1690 London Conference. Like, you're not old. You're the people that broke the English church. You're Johnny-come-lately. And so I just don't have time for Reformed Baptists, so... I know, I'm sorry. Well, Amy, that's, I'm not going was to waste your time either, but
3: <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and Beth Moore is in the Baptist church. So it's sad that, you know, in her own denomination, she was represented that way by yeah. the leadership.
0: Yeah.
1: And later on, I want to, maybe if we have time float with you. Uh, well, I mean, I, I want, there's complementarianism and there's complementarianism and we'll get into that. And a lot of it just kind of regresses into just straight patriarchy. And I'm, so I'm interested yeah. in hearing your 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 more fruitful biblical vision for that, but um, amen. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, I think we should move on to our gospel for Sunday. Yeah.
2: and the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amy, would you would you start us out with some thoughts on this passage?
3: Oh, it's an overwhelming passage. Mm. I mean, reading this, I think my first reaction is just behold our God. How amazing is our God? Uh, we, even though this story is predicted all the way in the beginning, you know, Genesis 3 15 is just bursting, you know, on, on this passage, but, um, it's still, it's so shocking how God has before the foundation of time, um, decided to redeem his, his bride and to see it playing out here like this. and, And we get the perspective. We don't just get the facts told um it's not just doctrine it's not just so um god impregnated a virgin woman you know by his holy spirit and the son of god is you know mary is his mother it's we get this woman's experience we we hear about her fear Um, we see her called favored um we get all these details kind of 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 how she's experiencing it, and to me, that's pretty amazing, considering that you know the Gospel of Luke obviously is written by a man, um, but she's still able to be a tradent of the faith here. She's um, she shared her story, and and her voice was heard, and and it's it's the gospel, and I just think of all the wo- women who were so expectant through through all biblical time leading up to this when is this son going to be born? And and here he is. And and so to me, this is just makes me stand in awe. Behold our God.
1: Amen. (laughs) I agree with all of that. Christopher, I know uh, you often like to give a lengthy backfilling on the synoptic origins and first century Judea. And um, (laughs) (laughs) Christopher, what's going on here?
2: Well, uh, Amy mentioned uh, this this word that, that Gabriel uses to call her favored one. And I, I mean, this is one of those many examples of something that's lost in translation. I mean, the language used here is superlative in her finding favor with God. I mean, that's, doesn't that seem so mild in English to be like, oh, like you're favored, like God has favored you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a word that's really only used one other time in scripture. She is so extraordinary beyond her peers, unimagined in her time and what's interesting about that is um there's a mix of of god choosing her because she is worthy and her being worthy because god has chosen her right does that make and, sense and both, uh, both are true god has found yeah. favor with her and um there's really something to that um th- that she is this uh very very um special person that god has chose this thing for and and kirk we've talked uh, ad nauseum about uh, her response, like which shows how favored she is, how like how she is peerless um, in, in the words of Magnificat. Um, she was a devout person, knew her Bible and knew what this meant um, in terms of, of, of salvation history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting to contrast this with the Annunciation to Zechariah, um, how uh, the herald, John the Baptist. Um, this was a very public thing that, you know, Zechariah was unable to talk and like everyone (laughs) seemed to know about this encounter that he had with an angel. Um, and yet he was just a herald. And what, 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 um, when the angel Gabriel appeared to, to, to Mary same angel, um, this was a a secret thing. Uh, this is not a public knowledge. Um, Mm. this, you know, less auspicious circumstances. It's, It's just a very interesting thing, the way that that works. Um, and just one of the many times in scripture that, um, that someone in many ways who is seemingly ordinary, that God exalts the lowly, right? Um, that God chooses Mary, um, just this this, teenage, uh, this teenager, this very ordinary, from an earthly perspective, an ordinary person, um, from the divine perspective, she was deemed extraordinary. Um, special births in scripture uh, usually were announced to the father-to-be, and this oh, time Lord. it's a woman who hears first. Which is really, really interesting. Um, and what the angel Gabriel says, "Blessed are you among women." And it's interesting that that Matthew includes uh, the book of Matthew includes the announcement to to to, to Joseph, right? Joseph? Yeah. And um, both are told uh, that uh, their son will be called Jesus. And what I love about uh, this is another thing that's lost in translation. Um, what I love about Matthew is that when Joseph is told about this. Um, that uh, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save many people from their sins in English. That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You should call his name Jesus. Cause he's going to save people from their sins. <laughs> um, but, but of course uh, Joseph, or, I'm sorry, Jesus uh, is actually the Hebrew name named Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, which means God saves. Like he's going to be named God saves because he's going to save people from their sins. An amazing thing that's being announced here. Uh, Not here in Matthew (laughs) um, about who Jesus is going to be, but, but who does Gabriel tell Mary that Jesus is going to be? He will be great. And he'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Imagine the thoughts that are flooding through Mary's mind here. Uh, She's probably looking at David's throne and says "Uh, that's occupied. The Rhodians occupy David's throne and the Romans have him by the scruff of the neck. Uh, what does this mean for the safety of my son? Uh, you know, we had the, the awfulness of the, of the uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabean revolt. And I mean, there's a bloody history um, fighting for the throne um, in Israel. And, uh, but, but what is her response? It's faith.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, she asks
1: one question, how can this be? And then given an answer, ah, she says, ah,
2: may it be unto me according to thy word. Yeah. oh kirk so do you want to talk about the perpetual virginity of mary is that is that why you raised <laughs> we, we, that? Can,
1: we can get th- we can get there slowly but surely <laughs>
2: uh, I, d- because- I didn't i wasn't gonna it wasn't even no, my- because we this is something that we have talked about and how the reformers actually believed in the perpetual virginity and uh it's interesting one of the commentaries i read dismissed it out of hand where um you know the scholarship is like mary mary knew how biology worked um she wasn't saying uh, she knew she was going to get married she wasn't promised in nine months this is going to happen she wasn't like there's nothing here that says the seed has been planted in your womb Um it, it, it does not seem to be possible to be impossible for her to bear a biological son which is um, funny because all, all annunciation art has like a visible, like spe- like spear, like penetrating her abdomen. You know what and, I mean. And we okay. do celebrate the Annunciation nine months before Christmas. Right. So I mean yeah. that that is tradition. But yeah. but um <laughs> those who uphold the, the perpetual virginity of Mary, apart from other Marian doctrines, um which 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 we don't uh, uphold. Um, uh, but those who believe in, in the perpetual virginity of Mary uh, say that um that she must have pledged herself, that this must have been a marriage of 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 not convenience but uh, this wouldn't have been uncommon in the time where where a, an unmarried woman uh, in, in that day was a very vulnerable person. And, and it's possible that Joseph would have taken her as an old man, he's an old man, and that it's possible that she had pledged herself to virginity to, to never sleep with Joseph. Um, and so, so some some people read this in, in that way. So Kirk, uh, I'm going to hand <laughs> that to you for you to defend uh, your perpetual virginity nonsense. Yeah. I'm just no, kidding. Hope- I'm just, I'm kidding. I
1: hold it very lightly. I've been trying it on for size the, <laughs> um, in, in the last six months. Well, I mean, here's the problem that this is John Henry Newman's quote, it lurks hauntingly in the back of my brain to learn scripture, scripture. Uh, I'm sorry, to learn history is to cease to be Protestant. And, um, and as, as, as you understand um, that this, this, this doctrine of the church was, was just held by all East, West, Reformed Catholic, uh, up until, I, I would say, I, not to slander the Baptist twice in ten, in 10 minutes, but I'd say probably until the 18th century with the proliferation of Baptistism in, uh, in English Christianity. But yeah, no, I, I, that wasn't one of the things on my list to talk about, Christopher. Um, but so I guess I'm politely declining to talk about it at this point. Uh, <laughs> do you have other thoughts before I, I kind of share some of my thoughts? No, me? All me? Okay. It's all you. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I, I said for Advent three, no, this is Advent four. Advent four is usually we pivot and it's, it's very happily Mary Sunday. Um, Mm -hmm. during Matthews last year we had, um, well, actually, no, it's sort of Joseph Sunday last year in year a, um, but in year B and C we get, we get Mary's perspective. Um, and, uh, which is great. I love it. I also, I think I've shared this before here. Um, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Are called the Synoptic Gospels. There's even kind of a a more kind of kind of um, liberal Protestant theory that they're they're all kind of come from this other text that we've lost called Q, and so they're all kind of one thing. Um, But they're clearly they're clearly they share a lot of material. Um, The authors were kind of bathing in the same brine in the early church, kind of around the same stories and, and telling the same stories around the campfire, so to speak. Nonetheless, Luke alone, apart from Matthew and Mark. Has this, uh, Luke, Luke 1 and 2 um, has this completely different teri- uh, telling in, Jude- in uh, Galilee with Mary and Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth okay. and Zechariah, and then with Mary, which leads to my pet extra biblical theory that Luke, um, we know Luke visited Ephesus and John was in Ephesus and, and John and Mary, we traditionally believe, were together. I think Luke spent time with Mary and was writing this stuff down. And so um, early, early Luke is really, in some, some ways, we should treasure it as Mary's um, mini gospel. Um, I, I love to think of it that way. I know this is an extra biblical theory, but it's a, it's a fond piety of mine. Um, it's
3: fun to use our historical imaginations. Yeah, well. yeah. And,
1: and Luke uses a phrase twice, and Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Well, mm-hmm. how would he know that if he's just getting these stories, right? that that I think belies yeah. the fact that these are probably first- person interviews. Um, yeah. And so I love I love that. so thank thank you, Saint Luke, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so that's kind of my my first observation. My second observation is this um, we sometimes we Christians, we, when we don't know what to say um, in the face of tragedy or someone grieving, grieving we blather happy talk about Romans 8.28, probably the verse we should never quote, right? And we know that for <laughs> those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I, I just, in the last three months, had a bishop say that at an inopportune time. Um, it's, and so we often mean well, even when we don't really know what we're talking about when we say that. But in this case, (laughs) we see where it's actually true, where God uses humanity's fall to to unite human and divine nature in Mary's womb. Um, There's this great piece of art that's gone around social media, Christian social media in the last year. Maybe, Christopher, if we can remember, we can share it. And it shows... um, Mary, a p- very pregnant Mary comforting Eve, a grieving Eve. Amy, you're nodding, you're familiar with this piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives me chills. It's the most beautiful thing ever. Um, and it, it, it's very scriptural. It weaves together um, the, the prophecy from Genesis um, about the seed crushing the serpent's head. Um, and um, and we see Mary caressing right her her her, her abdomen um, mm-hmm. knowing that that she is bearing, uh, the, th- the, the thing that will knit back together that which, uh, which Eve, and not Eve alone, but Adam and Eve um, uh, tore, tore apart. And so in this way, God really does work together for good. And um, I mean, the garden was perfect, right? We, we, mm-hmm. The garden was perfect. And yet, um, what wasn't the case in the garden is human nature and divine nature did not coexist fully within one person. And that fall was used. It was, in some ways, uh, theologians call this a fall up. Um, and that, that, the, that fall was used to create something more beautiful, something better, something truer. Um, and perhaps that gives us a, 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 an insight into what it means to be truly human. Um, so I, I, lo- I love that. Um, I, I also... Well, I'll we'll get to that in a moment.
2: Uh, John Dunn, Kirk, Kirk, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna nitpick just, just a little bit. Oh, pick, um, pick those because I, I totally understand what you're saying as far as um, Romans eight twenty eight being used at bad times, um, mm-hmm. because it, it is, it, it's, it's the wrong thing to say to someone who's grieving. Right. Um, but, but it is true. Yeah. That, that <laughs> um, like, so, like. And I know you're not saying it's not true, but you're like, well, actually, in this case, it is true. Um, like God does work all things for good. Absolutely. So though yep. God does not intend these bad things that happen, and sometimes are self-induced, um, God does not intend those bad things, but God will work all things for good. Yeah. Um, so so God doesn't say well i'm gonna i'm gonna sprinkle some really bad thing in, things in to help strengthen their faith that, that's that's not part of god's god's divine plan um but he is working all things for good because he's a good father
1: yes yeah yep
2: but um and that's a bad thing to say to someone who's grieving yes so don't that's, do that's right that's right yeah i i don't think we should be talking about providence um in the face like of like that's i'm, I'm sorry for like the, the tragic <laughs> everything that happened yesterday uh but But God's gonna—it's all for the God for God's good. So, like, don't ever say that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um. So I I just want to talk about this in the in the context of John Donne's uh great poem, which is it's actually a couple of poems, Annunciation and Nativity, but we'll get to the Nativity. we we can wait. We can wait ten days. Um. Uh. And I won't read the whole poem because it's in 17th century Caroline English, and it's very <laughs> densely packed with, um, with, with great theology. Um, but he does say this, he says, "Lo, faithful virgin yields himself to lie in prison in thy womb, and though he there can take no sin, nor thou give, speaking to Mary, right, he, he cannot give sin, sin to, to Mary's sinful uh, human flesh. Yet he will wear, taken from thence, flesh, which death's force may try. Meaning that he is taking Mary's humanity, Mary's flesh. Um, I've been struck by this recently. Um, uh, he had no human father. So all of his kind of genotypes, his phenotypes, right? The, 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 um, the outward display of yeah. his genetics would, would, have been, would have been Mary. Would he have had her laugh? Her smile, mm-hmm. her eyes. Would he have played with his nervously played with his fingers the same way she does? Whatever, right? All that stuff, right? He took her flesh, right? He will wear, as as Jandun says, um, ere by the spheres time was created. Thou wast in his mind, who is thy bro- thy son and brother, whom thou conceived, conceived. Yea, thou art now thy maker's maker and thy father's mother. Okay, whoa. i mean there's much to unpack there air by the spheres time was created meaning the second person of the trinity is the word that speaks all into all things into being so there before creation mary you were in his mind who is thy son your son right and your brother your brother in humanity whom thou conceived right he's she is mary's conceiving jesus yet he conceived her Right, his his mind, the word, the logos, um, which which spoke all things into being, thought of her, created her. Yea, thou art now thy maker's maker, and thy father's mother. Thou hast light and dark, and shutst in little room, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. And I love that phrase, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. Mary held within herself infinity and eternity. <laughs> Um, and this, this lovely knitting together of the divine and the humanity, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. So I, so I love that. Um, listener, I, I commend that to you. And so many, so much great Annunciation Church music um, uh, is, it exists. Uh, Gabriel's message, Christopher, we're going to sing that on Sunday. I don't know if that's kind of on, on on your docket. Um, Christopher, I fell in love with something called the Linden Tree Carol, which I'll share that that with you later. Actually I'll include it in the episode here um, when I when I edit it. But Amy, I, I've been monologuing and we didn't have you here to listen to me. Um, so I have I have something mm-hmm. I want to pa- a thought I want to pass off to you and bounce off of you. Um, can meditation on Mary as Theotokos, um, that is the Godbearer, the mother of God, um, and a conscious Marian piety help um, undo some of our unconscious Protestant misogyny. And here's what I mean by this, Amy. Um, For this most important cosmic mission of redeeming all humanity, God chooses Mary, not Moses, not David, not Elijah, now someone from the line of David, right, but not a man, not a man, Mary gets to be the new Ark of the Covenant, the true Ark of the Covenant, the the, the, the Ark of the Covenant that will not be lost or tossed aside or given over to the Philistines. Um, And all of this calls to mind, to me, the Magnificat, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Um, I think Protestants, we don't know what to do with Mary. We, we hem and haw, we throw clear, we, we look at our shoes, we change the, the subject. <laughs> and we're even uncomfortable with the phrase oh. mother of God, which I mean, well, mm-hmm. that's just Nestorianism then, right? So yes. um, Amy, can can some ways a, a better Marian piety help uh, our Protestant brethren with kind of some kind of misogyny maybe?
3: Possibly. I mean, if the misogyny obviously isn't going to look that way at all, um, you yeah, know, Mary and piety. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think possibly if, if that were possible, <laughs> but um, I think even taking it all the way back to um, a better anthropology of, of woman, you know, mm-hmm. a better understanding of even, you know, in creation, and I'm thinking of that picture that you were talking about with Mary and Eve, um, it's so beautiful and so emotive for a reason. And that's because, you know, in creation, um, you know, woman isn't created from the dirt like man is, um, and, and she's created second in order, and that's meaningful. Now, a lot of, of Protestants teach that the reason why woman is created second is because she is subordinate to man, and that, you know, mm-hmm. this, that shows male headship. But I see something very different there. Um, and I think that it's in the story that our, our very bodies tell. So uh, you know, woman's created second, um, not from the dirt, but from, from man's side, he has to be put down for her. Um, and, and this is an eschatological marker. Um, her very body symbolizes sacred space. You see this being fulfilled even more in the gospel reading today. Um, I, I, the one little word I want to pick on uh, that you were in your poem is, is prison. <laughs> I, know, I know why he's using it, I get it, but um, it's, it's sacred space. It's the temple of the living God. You know? He's Amen. dwelling there. Um, by, and, and I think it also helps us see even the meaning of true freedom, um, which is where you know, I would quibble with that word pr- prison too. It's, uh, he is giving his whole self in love and service for his bride um, but you know back to that picture of woman then I, I really think that um you know so we see in the womb um and we see in mary's womb fullness of life but that's what adam sees in in the first woman as well he sees what he is to become the collective bride of christ um, he sees where we're all headed um the whole mission um, so i think that you know, even like all the Levitical laws (laughs) uh, uh, with woman and her body and and, and unbounded water and and all these things, it's all pointing to to this fullness of life um, and sacred space in our uh, telos, um, which is a habitation of liveliness. So I I think that that's all told in this story of Mary here. Um, So in that sense, absolutely, but it's even broader than Mary um, and, and that's where I would make all those connections too, both in, in creation. Um, I'm working in the Song of Songs right now. So I'm exploding with all this kind of language, but um, you know, the, she's associated, woman is associated with Lebanon over and over again. It's like seven different times. And you know, this is God's dwelling place. Um, so, and then you have this, this gospel reading today and um, God's dwelling in woman, and you know, and I'm I'm thinking of that very, uh, that verse in in the song, uh, song 510. Let me see if I can turn there real quick. Um, Where, you know, it's just after the night scene where the woman is clobbered, you know, by the the gatekeepers and and the young women kind of, the women of Jerusalem are kind of, of mocking her in some ways. Like what makes the one that you love better than another? Like she's still looking for the one whom her soul loves. That's where her eyes are this whole time. And um, the first thing she says is, you know, my love is white and ruddy, notable among 10,000. Well, that's right there. Like John Owen says, that's his deity and his humanity. Mm. The whiteness is his divinity and the ruddiness is his humanity. And here they are in one person. And that's what makes him notable among 10,000. That's what makes him better than all the others. Um, So... Yeah, I just see it all over Scripture. So,
1: if you can see then Mary as an archetype, then as you're, it sounds like you're saying of um, the female generative gift to the church, of females as as as, as creating life. Um, you you can't possibly um, think of females as as unequal or inferior or or only. Um, I don't mean to be putting words in your mouth. Am I am I hearing you right? You couldn't possibly then see females as only capable of giving certain. Um, gifts to the church is mm-hmm. that
3: or you know in, what in you're misogyn- getting at <laughs> yeah in misogynistic terms just the <laughs> hatred or the dismissal of women you know and using that kind of language um, that there is a uh, there's a reciprocity in man and woman um, that is beautiful and I think that we we tell the gospel story of Christ's love for his bride in our very bodies um, mm-hmm. so yeah in, in some sense we can talk about her as archetype but really it's it's the church that is mm. archetype as a whole you know she symbolizes that
1: right right that's lovely yeah um you you do a good job um when you write and talk of weaving together um archetypes that i hadn't connected and yet um immediately i was i was seeing them pop out in scripture um so you you seem to often link bride garden temple fragrance water spirit with the feminine um am, am i am i well, correct
3: I say spirit i'm not uh-huh. sure if i would link spirit with all those others with okay. the feminine but okay. um we see the language though of the bride joining the spirit okay uh, you know okay. In, in revelation um she joins her voice with the spirit at the end you know beckoning us all okay. to come um, oh. to the waters of life, which her body represents even, but yeah, right. all that language is in the song of songs.
1: Yeah. So if we see like garden as, um, and, and, and garden is, is female, what, because of the fruitfulness.
3: Yeah. I, over and over again, you're going to see her in the song, her very body is associated with the garden. Okay. Um, and, and so her body, and then even in old Testament, um, the woman's body is so often associated with the land, to the point where uh, you know we even have these these laws to where if if the woman's uh, violated, the land is violated. But um, you know, in Isaiah sixty-two, I think, and maybe thirty-five, I was in there earlier this week, and there's just so much language, and there's a lot of intertextual references and echoes with the song. But it's this. Uh, bride is land language Mm. and so restoration of the land is restoration of the bride which is what you see at the end of revelation of course is the bride coming down is what garden city temple Mm. um it's 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 not only restored even eden it's it's better it's the new heavens and the new earth it's where we were all headed (laughs) um from the very beginning
1: so you put me in mind of this um the tree is often um, associated with Jesus, right? The cross is 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 the new the new life giving tree. We see a tree um, in, in, the, um, in the city, and what what is that? Revelation nineteen. Um, uh, there's a great poem that's often sung during Christmas time: uh, "Jesus Christ, the apple tree." Well, if Mary is hmm. the garden that produces the tree, um, and if if we recognize that that Mary is the source from which our our, our Savior comes. Um, it, it becomes more difficult, um, I would think, than to uh, to to shunt
2: women aside in the church. Um, well, and I, yet, I would, Kirk, ho- I would and, hope, and, and yet um, <laughs> the fruitfulness of of woman, the woman of women, um, sometimes in patriarchal circles, is seen as as like the one gift that women give, is a yeah. misinterpretation of the pastoral epistles. And it's yeah, purely biological.
3: Yeah. It's like more like providing their offspring. Right, right. Well, and you
1: notice the same people that would do that are those who recoil from calling Mary queen of heaven. So, um, sure. So so like uh, to, to provide honorific titles to her um, uh, causes a certain instinctive Protestant recoil while yet um, uh, celebrating her, I guess, biological fruitfulness, which then, Amy, what did you just call it? That mere biology or a mere biological nod or something? Well, like I mean,
3: that? you know, are it, it, our, our um, contributions in other ways, like intellectual, theological, creativity, mm. like are those fruitful? Um, mm. Are those dynamic in the right. church? Right,
2: right. Where, where to, to use Paul's metaphor of, of the church as the body, um, and you know the the head can't say to the to the hand or the feet, you know I have no need of you. Um, it, using that metaphor, essentially uh, patriarchal Christians would say, well, the woman is essentially the uterus. Women are the uterus who are able to like <laughs> yeah. produce babies and little mm. else. Where, where right. I mean, we, 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 that's not what we see um, in Scripture. And Kirk, um, you've you've mentioned before uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, work on um, on women's ordination in a sac in the sacramental sense, mm-hmm. where he talks about women are prophets throughout Scripture in right. the Old Testament, we have women <laughs> prophets, and, so, and certainly in the New Testament. So, like women are preaching, like right. so, like the 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 fact that men are threatened by women preachers is is kind of weird, um, especially un-biblical. when you call yourself a <laughs> biblical, yeah, especially <laughs> when you you see yourself biblical. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess I. I think we should move on to theology because yes. we have a lot of yes. theological stuff to talk sounds about. Sounds like so we itching to talk about. Let's that. shift to that. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for for coming on and i i want to ask you and just give you just kind of open space to talk a, a bit about your your book kind of to give your your general pitch i maybe you're you're kind of tired of hearing that word at this point but i want <laughs> i want readers to get the opportunity to hear um the basic idea the gist of it and i know i have a yeah. bunch of questions for you about that book and about the concepts that you roll out in that i know that that, that Christopher does as well. Um, so the title of the book is Recovering Biblical Womanhood and Manhood.
2: Recovering from. Recovering from, oh my
1: gosh. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm so sorry, Amy.
2: Recovering from it's Biblical fun. Manhood and Womanhood, so how the listener, church needs to rediscover. Google. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, <laughs> Kirk let, let me just read the title. Okay, go ahead. You should do that. Recovering <laughs> from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, how the church needs to re- rediscover her purpose.
1: So listener, write that down,
2: pause it, write
1: that down, go to your (laughs) local bookstore. And if sadly you have no local bookstore, I guess you could use amazon.com Lord Bezos will deliver it to you in probably two days. Um, (laughs) Amy, what is your book about?
3: So my book is about discipleship, really. That's what I was wanting to write about. Um, and what I wanted to do was provide an alternative resource to what so many, uh, men and women, I feel like are swimming in, in our cultural evangelical context, which are these biblical manhood and womanhood resources. I wanted to kind of offer something alternative that is focusing on three different parts. And one is the, the reciprocity of the male and female voice in scripture. Um, the second one is the covenantal aspect to our reading scripture as a church and in um, our interpretation of it. And then the third one is just um, bearing the fruit of that in our church life and the great honor then as brothers and sisters in the church that we have uh, towards one another and responsibility. So I really had to, um, in order to, to do that, the reason why it has the title that it has and, and talking to my editor over at Zondervan that I worked with for this book, um, there I had a roadblock. The road, There were a couple couple roadblocks just discipleship has been treated differently and taught differently for men and women um and we uh there's this major resource put out by the council for biblical manhood and womanhood called recovering biblical manhood and womanhood and it's about 30 years old now and um i mean it's sold a lot of copy, copies uh, there's a lot of contributors to it um, and then there's just been, it's had so many babies as far as other books and conferences and articles, um, and, and resources from the church. And, um, what I, you know, in that book, it, it tells us how we need masculine men and feminine females, and this is how we need to disciple them. And it gets into all these interesting, um, ways to do that. And so interesting. Combating, yeah. Interesting. This is a, a a pleasant way of putting it, but I'm combating this teaching. But then I'm also doing this as a woman, which m- makes it all the more difficult in my circles to even talk about this. So well, um,
2: especially since you're fighting against biblical manhood and womanhood. Right.
3: How dare right. you? I mean, yeah, how dare you? put you. that word in front of it, and then you're you're just kind of sanctifying this teaching, <laughs> right? And um, just because you put you know the word biblical in front of it doesn't make it so. And, and it's so, kind of like when, we, when you're in conversation and you say, well, you know, honestly, <laughs> that doesn't always mean you're about to tell the truth, right? right? right. But, you know, we, we, these words, uh, you know, attach uh, morality to them. Right. Yeah.
2: Sure. W- w- would you offer just a brief yeah. uh, summary of, of what this work is um, yes, that you're that responding helpful. to? Well, like what, what is this vision of biblical manhood, quote unquote, biblical manhood and womanhood that yeah. we, John Piper. Uh, I, I blissfully missed this somehow. So this might be, well, this will be helpful.
3: Bless you for that. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, their definitions of in, in chapter one of mature masculinity and femininity are this. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead Provide for and protect women in ways appropriate to man's differing relationships. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So, as you can see, um, the, the mature masculine definition is all about leadership over women and um, agency to do that. And the feminine definition here, there's nothing, there's no actual contribution that a woman gives. It's all parasitic. It's all um, to, as uh, it's been explained (laughs) before, just kind of hold the mirror up to the man, right? To support his masculinity. That's the woman's job. That's the woman's mature femininity. Um, So, I found this very troubling and you you have all of these teachings coming out of it in the book so that you're told that to a sense that a woman gives direct or personal guidance to a man his masculinity is threatened Um, and so there's all these odd scenarios like if the postman comes to my door I'm to be thinking about how you know even though I'm not verbally talking about His masculinity i need to be supporting that somehow letting him know i recognize his masculinity or if you were in my neighborhood and you got lost and you know horror of horrors all you can find outside is a housewife to ask directions like how would you be able to ask her without your masculinity being assaulted you know uh you all these weird things about who drives the car who's ordering at the restaurants uh women being careful not to um, strength train too much mm. uh, because the feminine needs might not be met if <laughs> she's too muscular. I mean it just goes on and on.
2: And huh. so so masculinity in 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 their eyes has to do with just kind of domination and
3: authority, male authority and, and-,
2: and in, in any way when a woman undermines or threatens that even unintentionally, um, that's sin, right, the or things that's that undermine
3: that's... it. Even are very strange. Yeah. But, um. So yeah.
2: masculinity is 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 pretty weak. Then. It's, fragile. Yeah. it's fragile. Yeah. Fragile. Yeah. Men are essentially fragile. Like, <laughs> it's
1: it's interesting hearing your description that the men who are writing it couldn't hear how sensitive that sounds. Mm. How well and it, how
3: I mean how <laughs> how this book has been taught in complementarian circles and and you know huge conferences lots of other books written yeah. um you know so can, presidents can we seminaries. can we, uh,
1: can, we def- can you define a few terms for us um so a, a couple of things that i'd like you to define for us um can you contrast that with a properly christian understanding of manhood and womanhood
3: well i mean i'm writing a whole book about that right <laughs> okay okay <laughs> so it's not anything i can do briefly but um okay you know, getting back into that symbolic language. I, I liked, I prefer to give a much more uh, theological definition to, to what our bodies are pointing towards. And, and it's, I feel more Christ centered. Um, yes. Amen. Yeah. But, and, and beautiful, you know, I, I agree with uh, the council for biblical manhood and womanhood that um, there's beauty and distinction and that we don't want to, you know, promote androgyny between the sexes and, um, but I, I don't think that we use cultural stereotypes to do that. Um, and that I don't think that that's what's really essential to our, our sexuality. Um, and I, I think that that can be very harmful. You know, not only do we not all fit into those boxes, but um, each person is a unique and unrepeatable human being as Pope John Paul II teaches. Um, so uh, we don't wanna reduce, uh, right. reduce each sex according to these, these qualities um and you know i do think that there is something in man and and, and right there in the story of creation that i was talking about before um he's i think you know in representing masculinity like christ is the bridegroom um jesus is masculine um that's the bridegroom is masculine so um we see in in the creation story um adam is the first to sacrifice Um, he's the first to love he in in pointing to Christ he's the lover she's the beloved and then she reciprocates and wears that love and then it fructifies right Um, it's it's dynamic but um, you know he's pointing to Christ who is the first to love the bride from eternity you know before the beginning of time Um, and he's the first to give the first to sacrifice Um, I do believe that that is um, a calling for men and, and I, I think that women should uh, be very careful with that. Like, don't sabotage that, right? Don't manipulate that. Um, that is a great blessing. It's interesting, Return it.
1: <laughs> just an aside on that, it's um, the great bloodshed um, in, in all the wars across history where young men who instinctively they didn't have poetic or theological ways to put it into words. They understood that it was their job to die for their families and their country, um, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily occur to young women in the same way. So I think you're. I agree that there's. Yeah, something I mean, women make many sacrifices.
3: sacrifices even you know, right. giving birth is sacrificing <laughs> right. her very life. You know, up until modern times, you know, right. very much so. But um, it's in a different way. And I think what right. you know, what our bodies symbolize is the second order, which is peace. You know. Um, and like the bride says, I find peace in his eyes in the song, um, in his eyes, I find peace. So I think that we represent Zion and, and, and that second order, but that that's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that Deborah was in sin or JL was in sin, you know, when, when they were in war, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, we have to also distinguish between what's prescriptive and what's descriptive.
2: Sure. Well, and, and. I I just, it's interesting. You mentioned man sacrificing, which is of course what Paul in his, uh, in Ephesians says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, his call to men is sacrifice. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, and to be the first to love in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's telling that great mystery. He is exegeting uh, the creation story for us there, right? And it's like, behold, this great mystery that I'm telling you now. And notice that he doesn't tell him to rule over his wife. Right. Um, he tells her, tells him to love her
1: sacrificially. Yeah. 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 While we're talking about this, I, I I had a question about this, and I love the way that you 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 speak about this. Um, you say. And you're, as you're saying right now, that headship is a, the authority to sacrifice on the behalf of others. That's that's the language that I'd picked up from you in, in where you had written and spoken elsewhere. Um, as, as Christopher and I often say in Christ's economy, the way up is down. That's kind of a theme. That's a way that we describe Good. the gospel. Um, many, many uh, passages abound with this this ethos, Um, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, or have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. I came to be served, I came not to be served, but to serve. Um, Kirk, you messed that I, up again every is, single time. This is, every it is now time. that, that passage is so deeply <laughs> in my, like in my head that I overthink it. And I, I couldn't say that passage properly with, at this point with a gun to my head, right? But, but hopefully through my mumbling, we, we get the point. Yeah. Um, so can you speak of your vision of, uh, of, 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 Pro- proper male headship—if it's not sort of hierarchical authority—then then that um, what, what a servant what servant headship looks like.
3: Um, I would say you know one one thing is that it's representative um, because you know we have uh, Adam as the head of first head right and federal head, and then we have Christ as the head of the church, and so there's this representation there where Adam represents all mankind. Um, and so, uh, and then Christ representing all of his people. So there's something representative there. And um, where was I? I was gonna say something else about the representative part before I moved on but I cannot remember now. I was piggybacking off of something you said that I've forgotten. But um, so in that sense, um, I think that that is a responsibility. You know, um, you're, you're responsible for a whole. Um, and, and so that, that would be a sacrificial thing. That's what I remember now um, with Adam uh, after Eve takes that bite. She uses this language, nor touch, right. She adds mm-hmm. to the command and, you know, we've been taught in the church a lot that it's because she's the first legalist, <laughs> you know, she's adding to God's word here. Uh, that I know he really has been taught, taught. I've been taught that a lot. Holy yeah. That um, she's, but um, you know, scholarship shows that this is, this is Levitical language. Uh, you know, the original audience is Levitical audience. Right. They know all the Le- Levitical laws. So um, the, the laws of not touching nor eating. Um, when she adds that, she's kind of telling the story here that she's gonna be rendered unclean uh, if she touches it. And um, so she's kind of fructifying again. And so when she is deceived into eating, that Levitical language, that audience, they're going to know like a sacrifice needs to be made now. Like the death is everywhere. Uncleanliness is everywhere. And the big question is on the edge of your seats, is is it going to be Adam? Is he going to sacrifice himself for her? Is he going to offer himself? Um, like later we see Abraham do. Um, Interesting. And and hmm. he he doesn't what does he do he throws her around he joins right. her yes. and then he throws her yes. right
2: so, so this woman um, you gave
3: me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um yes i think that there was like supposed to be a suspense there of that matter of, of his headship and he doesn't do it um so i do i think that it's it's very much a um first to serve kind of a thing again and it's a great responsibility and um you know, I would say it's a, it's an honor to love.
1: Mm. Oh, well put. I think that's right. It's an honor to love.
3: love well,
2: before that. we leave the garden, um, isn't it interesting um, that one of the consequences of the fall is that man will rule over woman that like, this is a part of sin. Mm-hmm. There's a consequence of like, along with like pain and childbirth and you'll toil, like the fact that like men desire to rule over rather than you know, take the form of a servant and, and serve. Um, and, and yet people who love their Bibles, um, rule over women. Mm.
3: Yeah. And there's, there's so many different interpretations to this, what this rule is like the church, church fathers thought it was a, a a goodness to the woman that, uh, you know, it was a protection, a shelter to her. Um, Do, 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 do you,
2: do you have particular fathers that, 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 uh, wrote that way?
3: I would have to. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, I'm the research I've done. I can't remember all the names on top of my head now, but um, I don't want to. I don't want to misrepresent. But pretty much, that was the collective. Yeah. Um, was but and it's interesting because the views, you know, if if you're looking at what the church fathers say about like um, woman in general, (laughs) it's very Aristotelian. It's it's terrible. But um, they don't interpret that word desire as in that way they they interpret it as a turning towards she's yet she still turns towards her husband um and um and yet and he will rule it. so they look at it as a good thing but um you know and then throughout the generations and, and there's been many different uh interpretations of what this turning is our desire is whether it's good or bad and then also this rule and um and i do think that we just see evidence in the next, you know, the first 10 chapters of Genesis, it's just violence mm-hmm. and, and rule over women um, it, of the worst kind. So, and then the way it plays out, you see, in judges, like the more uh, we turn our eyes from God and do what's right in our own eyes, you see it demonstrated in the way that we treat women. Um, and, and, and even now, um, I still, I, you know, to this day, I, I think that you know christ has reversed that and we see like in ephesians 5 that you're, you're to love her um not rule over her but um we still have in sin this this consequence of the fall
1: can can i very gingerly hesitantly offer up <laughs> an observation and um evolutionary biology mm-hmm. notes this as well uh uh, we, I, I've just seen anecdotally in my life. I don't understand why thoughtful, godly women um, are stick with 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 jerks, demeaning, abusive jerks. Um, evolutionary biology has a theory about this, which is haunting. Uh, which is at, at, at some point prior to the agricultural revolution, um, the the like the meathead, what actually did, provided the most defense. And and that hasn't been the case for seven thousand years or whatever, but but there still is an Edenic post Edenic curse working within women, calling her back to 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 that, um to that person. So I I, I offer offer that up very hesitantly. Um, well, me I
3: mean, I don't think that women you know, in ancient times had mm-hmm. any kind of choice. You, right, you know? right.
1: Well, Eric, right. it it maybe ascribes to women too much more agency than, than existed. Right, they,
3: they they were stuck. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, and, and I even see that and in, in so many of the ways stories are told, even in, in New Testament, like the woman at the well with the five mm-hmm. men. I mean, you basically, your whole livelihood depended on men. Mm-hmm. So Or Ruth. Uh,
1: Ruth throwing yeah. herself. Yeah, I mean, at well, OS. you see it. You see yeah. it so
3: much there, and yeah. it's so beautiful. Beautiful how God's has of love is on display in that story, um, but um, and we see the strength of, of this woman th- through that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we sometimes give women too much agency, mm. um, in, in ancient times, as yeah. far as all that goes. Even you mentioned, now, yeah, you mentioned Aristotle. Abuse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Can, we, can, can I ask you about philosophy a little bit? I, maybe, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so you, uh, you mentioned Aristotle's conceptions of sex and gender um, of, of females as what derivative of males. Mm, yeah, um,
3: they're kind of deformed men. De,
1: right, yeah. Um, well, first of all, so let's, let's talk um, Christian philosophy. Uh, would you say <laughs> that maleness and femaleness exp- express divine essences or are they accidental? So I, I'm talking about essential properties versus accidental properties. Essential properties reflect um, an object's essences. Accidents um, could be otherwise, right? Like my skin could be could be white, it could be black, it could be brown, but I would still be a human. So that's an accidental property. Um, but so, would you say maleness and females are, are divine essences, or the yeah, accidents? Yeah. Well,
3: I would say that. Yeah, God has ordained it that there's you know two ways to be a human being. Okay as a man or as a woman.
1: You're, you're, so you're going out on that limb. <laughs> yes. Only
3: two. <laughs> there's okay. only right. two. And then, um, yeah, so there's this hylomorphic unity, um, metaphysically speaking, between our bodies and our souls. So this language of, you know, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, um, that speaks against this hy- hylomorphic unity then of um, our soul and our body and um, the harmony there. Um, and I think that the church often speaks that same kind of Gnostic language, because um, when, we, when we ask, and especially with this biblical manhood and womanhood stuff, when we ask men and women or, or demand that they put on certain attributes, like like to put on my femininity, I have to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it, when they're saying that we need feminine females um, right. and masculine males, mm-hmm. What I do is feminine simply because I am a woman. Um, You know, I'm speaking to that hylomorphic unity right now. Um, My actions are feminine. Um, And that's the way I, you know, look at femininity. It's not putting on some stereotypical... uh, (laughs) some
2: certain people 21st century american you know conception of femininity Mm -hmm. so
3: and so i think yeah if we're going to speak into the transgender community you know people who are really suffering in in their identity um i think that this is an an important thing to talk about because there are those in the church who i've talked to under this teaching of biblical manhood and womanhood who don't fit in these boxes and are suffering and they're asking like am i not Uh, feminine enough um and and they're having gender confusion or at least insecurity um and and shame
2: and likewise um some some uh more progressive christians uh want to love um people who feel like they are a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa um and the way that they do that is by affirming um something that is is actually not true um uh, because we are told that that in christ we have a we have a we are a new creation we are like our identity is found in him so to to say that our insides don't match our outsides is 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 a lie that that frankly the devil tells us Mm -hmm. um when in fact christ says like the way i made you is, is intentional and like this um so conservatives who tell you um well be more feminine or be more masculine um that's not good, um, mm. but also let's not say, um, okay, this this thing that you tell yourself that whatever it is that is on the inside, um, that you're trapped. Your identity is this thing. And until you alter your outside, you're not matching. You can't God. pretend
3: yourself into a man or a woman right? and they're never gonna feel whole. They're never gonna right. feel peace. They're gonna continue to suffer. They're gonna be more disjointed. Um, so yeah, we're, we're harming them. By yeah. allowing them to live that lie. Yeah. And we, yeah. you know, I want to minister to those types of people mm-hmm. in, in real ways, real gospel <laughs> ways. So yeah, yeah that's, God that's loves helpful. you the way yeah. he
2: created you.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and we can and, speak about how the fall ha- you know, messes with, with our bodies and, and yeah. our minds and our, yeah. you know, that whole psychosomatic thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So you speak of a hylomorphic unity, which I, I love that. Um, right, our, our, our bodies are an expression of our soul. Um, they're, they're one thing, right? So you, what that means when you say a hylomorphic unity is your body and your soul, your body is female and your soul is female. Um, so, and this, another way of putting this is biological essentialism. Your biology expresses your essence. Um, so why is it important for Christians to, uh, to confess this? Um, that, that, that our, our bodies are an expression of an essence that God created and the an expression, wouldn't, wouldn't you say of the, the imago Dei, the image of God, you right. express something of the divine in your womanhood.
3: Exactly, and so I think for very practical reasons, like um, Christopher and I were just talking about there is why it's important, but then also for um, just theological reasons that, that our bodies speak, we're telling the story as um, image bearers, of god we're like little icons right Mm -hmm. um and and we're reflecting the glory of who god is so it's it's very important and um i don't think that it's interesting because i get accused a lot of being androgynous or um you know i've even because you're
2: into martial arts or like
3: what (laughs) um well they think that since i don't subscribe to like "Quote unquote," biblical manhood and womanhood. Then I don't care about distinctions between Mm. genders, and um, it's a straw man, really. Um, But then, yeah, I've even had you know horrible comments made about me, like I look too butch in in one of the videos that I'm teaching in. It's just odd. Um, So it it gets right down, boils right down to the way we treat one another.
2: Right. It's it's weird um, that people who say they're christians would um go after your appearance and to and diminish who you are as god created you um mm-hmm. as, as a way rather than going after your ideas they're, they're upset with your ideas because you're threatening something in them and so mm-hmm. they, they're they're yeah it's that's very that was very interesting to me um and uh that that Christians who are supposed to like support the 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 uh, idea that everyone is a is an image bearer mm-hmm. would say um, this image bearer who's threatening my ideas uh, is ugly or this or that. It's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. I
1: want to I want to ask you about that. And we 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 should have defined this term uh, first, and we didn't define the term um, because this this is all kind of a an in house um, dispute within a complementarian like structure, right? Like these mm-hmm. are complementarians mm-hmm. versus complementarians. Yeah. If I, if, I, if I gather. So could you, <laughs> could you define, um, what does it mean to be a complementarian? Because that, that's, a, that's a, a, a big word if you've never encountered it before. And then, and then what, what is this in-house granular dispute that's become so, uh, so fierce and well, um, cruel, so cruel? So
3: well, um, the question, what does it mean to be a complementarian is a very interesting question <laughs> because it will be answered in many different ways. Um, and so I think, you know, most, you know, regular Joe Schmo people out there think, oh, complementarians believe in male headship in the home and in the church, as far as, uh, ordination goes. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you push them on what it means in the home, you know, basically it all comes down to who makes the last decision, who gets to make the decisions. That's it. In a it, it, in a tiebreaker for okay. it, it, the most liberal would be in a tiebreaker, you know. But uh, th- there are you know very well known complementarian preachers who you know uh, preach about how uh, women just have to submit the wife has to submit to everything her husband says. You know, one one preacher is so gracious to say that a wife can have one veto card that she needs to hold on to and really be careful when she uses it. Um, but so it's very interesting what the definitions even are. And so I was reading you, you know, part of, you know, complementarian manhood and womanhood, um, according to the council for biblical manhood and womanhood. So I prefer, I mean, the way I look at it is complementarianism is a movement. It's started about 30 years ago. Um, I really don't want to identify myself in this movement because there's so much error in it. And also because um, some of that error has gone right into the doctrine of God and uh, to the whole Trinitarian function of hierarchy um, in the very essence of God. So this is a big deal. And um, then they use that, they say that uh, functionally, eternally in his essence, the son is submissive to the father's authority. I've
1: heard about this, and then they yeah. use
3: that as an analogy to say that women, in her essence, woman is submissive to man. So, the I mean, first this I the first time I
1: encountered that doctrine, I was like, "What?" what are... yeah. So yeah, Kirk, I I,
3: I,
2: I, eternal subordination of the son. Yes, right. yes. I hadn't yes. heard of this until three <laughs> weeks ago. So, well,
3: Google it. it started <laughs> on my blog. in two thousand and sixteen. Google the Trinity debate. Okay, uh, so I'm the one who pulled that rope down and. Uh, <laughs> whole ceiling fell. But um, yeah, so there's just all there's, I just prefer to say that I'm confessional, you know, I'm in the OPC, we have our confessions, you guys have your confessions in the ACNA. I mean, isn't that good enough. Um, I think that's good enough. And even when we talk about female ordination where, you know, there are plenty of disagreements over which is healthy and good. Um, it's a secondary doctrine. It's not something that separates us as brothers and sisters in the faith. It will separate where we worship maybe, but um, so I just think we need to have
0: yeah,
3: yeah, be more clear about what our definitions are. If we're going to use complementarian or and then egalitarians, they have a wide spectrum as well. Um, So, you know, I have learned from both complementarians and egalitarians. and I think that we need to be more in dialogue um, without being so tribal.
2: Yeah, what I hear you saying is that essentially um, these terms and concepts are only 30 years old anyway. So right. we yeah. don't need to, we don't, you don't feel obligated to use them to identify don't, yourself. Don't wear because, it too
1: heavily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, I, I guess another thing I would say uh, about um, these complementarians who are complementarians because of this uh heresy of the eternal subordination of the sun uh i would summarize it this way trinitarian heresies to own the libs um does that sound about right kirk (laughs) i guess uh so i know we're running long here i have one question and it's a big one and kirk if you could limit yourself to one more question and then we could end in prayer yeah so this I would just like to, it's, I guess it's not really a question. It's just an invitation to Amy. Um, I've heard you on a podcast talk a little bit about um, being influenced by, because Kirk's been kind of nudging you to talk a little bit about man, man and woman being kind of images of, Like reflections of who God God is, and like it's not incidental that we are men and women. And I'm curious if 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 this is at all is tied to your study of of John Paul II's um, teaching on the theology of the body. I just want to invite you to talk a little bit about that. And that's a big big question, but you know, do with it what you want.
3: (laughs) It's a really big question, and it's it's one that I'm exploring more in my upcoming book. Um, But yeah, I found much rich theology in coming out of the Roman Catholic church on um, man and woman, which I would love to see more of. And, and I am starting to see more of um, uh, Dr. Timothy Tennant wrote a, a book that just came out called For the Body. I believe I'm looking around here for it, but I don't see it. Um, that is that is good. And he's a Methodist, so, um, but it is interesting because I, I think uh, Pope John Paul II's work is just so instrumental in, in how we talk about it because he talks about male and female bodies as symbol and he also talks about them as gift and i think this language of gift is huge um because um that's the way that adam received his bride that's the way that christ receives his bride um and that's what brought him into Mary's womb. (laughs) And that's what took him to the cross is the joy that was set before him. And man, we see that joy in the song of songs. And it's interesting. um, in, in chapter four, verse seven, what he says to her, um, you are absolutely beautiful. My darling, there is no imperfection in you. I mean, I hear that echo in Ephesians five, no imperfection in you, Presenting the church without spot or wrinkle. I mean, there it is. Um, so, I just think that there's this this beauty that we're missing in in when we're talking about men and women. And I think Pope John Paul II. Uh, he, he I have some you know major differences theologically in some areas with him, um, but then I've also just gleaned so much from his writing, and you know, I've underlined all over the place and um, you know, I think his fingerprints are, are over my writing in ways that I might not even know it now, (laughs) but I'm really thankful for the work that he's done. And, um, it's interesting when you find other Protestants who are fans of his work of the, on theology of the body, because, um, people get real excited. Oh, you've read that too. (laughs) Um, because it's just like, you're finding so many more treasures than this reductive teaching that we've been Mm -hmm. brought up in. Um, and it's, it places a value on both men and women and a dignity and and this personhood that is so important, right? Um, And that right there is such a reflection of God um, and the persons of the Trinity. Um, So this overflowing love, which is also we see from the Trinity, from the father to the son, to the spirit, and then to the bride.
2: Wonderful that is well beautiful. thank you for that preview and we Quick look version. forward to yeah we look forward to, to reading your whole book in in 14 months or whatever thank
3: you yes
1: thank you so much for your time amy this is yeah, um a been, been a real treat real treat shall we thank end you. in prayer christopher
2: let's the lord be with you
1: and with your spirit you.
2: stir up your power O lord and with great might come among us And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Jesus Christ, our Lord to whom with you and the Holy spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son, Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that at the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness. We beseech you, O Lord. And by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night for the love of your only son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. 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 Amy, thanks again. Amen. I thank you. hope to have you back again.
3: Well, thank you. Was good Kirk, talking
2: to you. Kirk, I'll see you next week. Next week.